A quick little message before we get started for the week. Due to constant updates regarding some of the tournaments we look into, some of our news recorded earlier in the week is a little out of date, so make sure to hang around at the end for some updated news. But for now, stay safe and sit back as we bring you another Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you for joining us again for the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick and with me tonight is the man known as Copernicus Cricket on Twitter, Nick Skinner. Nick, how's things? All right. Uh, not quite locked down yet, um, but I, I feel like it's probably coming based on uh, all the cancellations we've seen recently. It has been carnage here in Australia and, and throughout the world. I'm sure you are all facing similar harsh realities. Uh, probably a good time to remind everyone to listen to uh, your medical experts around the uh, around your respective countries for, for advice as to what you have to do and not uh, T20 franchises who thought they would take the, <laughs> yes. the liberty to do that. Uh, a man sending his apologies is Tim Cutler. Tim is actually in New Zealand. He was there to celebrate a friend's wedding over the weekend. He's still there now. Uh, I'm not sure what the protocol would be when he gets back. I would assume quarantine and therefore a little bit of time for him to produce some emerging cricket content, but we do send him our best as he is over there. Luckily, uh, podcasting isn't something uh, is something that you can do from, from quarantine, so that works out. And hence why we're on ready to go tonight, making sure that everyone gets their fix of emerging cricket content every week. Uh, to everyone listening to the show, uh, thank you once again. I also do want to give a quick shout out before we do start tonight's show, and it's to a couple of members from the Japan Cricket Association, uh, Yukiko Motojima and Naomi Alex Miyagi, uh, amongst others at the Japan Cricket Association. They were selling some of the leftover jerseys from the Under-19 World Cup campaign that they had in South Africa, and I managed to get my hands on one. It was uh, delivered sometime last week. A huge, huge thank you to you as I... Add that one to the collection, Nick. We both picked up uh, some Thailand gear as well from Nishad Rego and, and the people at uh, the Cricket Association of Thailand. So that was excellent as well. But a big, big thank you. Yeah, amazing to, to have that sort of rare merch. Was it the uh, the pink one, the cherry blossom one? I went with the blue with pink spots. Oh, nice. Yeah, blue, blue is one of my favorite colors. I don't know if I would have been able to rock the pink as well. <laughs> I'll leave that to the uh, the members of the under-19 playing squad who looked ravishing in their cherry cherry blossom pink. It seems like a lifetime ago now with, with everything that has gone down, um, which is craziness. Uh, we'll start with some cancellations and some postponements, which we have seen. Uh, there will be cricket going on this week, and there has been cricket that has gone on in the last week, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, a few things that have been called off uh, or postponed. Uh, the USA Tri-Series uh, Cricket World Cup League 2 leg, that's been postponed. There's also talk that the series in Namibia uh, will also not be played out. That's between Scotland, Nepal, and, of course, hosts Namibia. We've seen county teams dropping out of tours in UAE and Spain as well, who have had tours there, pre-season tours there in the past. Two legs of the European Cricket Series have been postponed, the Catalonia leg and the Barcelona leg. We'll probably talk about that in a second. Uh, speaking of Japan, the national trials have been cancelled. Uh, Malta's cancelling all cricket as well as a couple of other European countries around. I know Belgium has. Uh, the Czech Republic were meant to tour Malta. Uh, the Netherlands have postponed indoor cricket. 
Uh, we've seen Namibia's tour by the Netherlands to Namibia also postponed. Uh, and the over-50 World Cup has also been postponed halfway through. That actually started. Uh, and the Island Zimbabwe series cancelled. This is unprecedented. I know we brought up you know pandemics before on the last show and the 1919 Spanish flu cancelling sport. That's basically the last time we've seen something like this. Uh, we've seen wars cancel a lot of sport and, and other things, but a pandemic like the coronavirus, you know, this this year hasn't got off to a great start in, in a sporting sense or in a humanitarian sense, Nicholas. Where do you even begin? There's there's so many people now out of work, out of their plans, booking flights, and I'm sure that financially this is set to cripple a lot of countries around the world in terms of their uh, cricket and their aspirations of cricket development. Yeah, I keep... um. I keep seeing this tweet percolating through my newsfeed of uh, Boris Johnson telling everyone that 2020 is going to be a fantastic year for the UK and uh, I guess little little did we know, you know, just a couple of months ago that it would all go so pear-shaped and yeah, it's 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 this weird situation of being kind of in limbo and I mean, we see from Australia, we see other countries going into lockdown and, you know, we're not at that point yet. And it just sort of, it feels like it's coming and it's it's a weird metaphysical space to be in and to be feeling this sort of um, impending, um, you know, just just this uh, catastrophe that's on the way and it doesn't seem like there's anything we can do to stop it. Um, which again, I, I would, <laughs> I would reiterate your advice to to listen to the relevant uh, medical authorities rather than cricket teams or, or cricket players. Um, yeah, l- let's leave those uh, those two fields separate. Um, in, in terms of the cricket, yeah, I, ca- I keep thinking that maybe as a, a sort of a silver lining is that because people are so desperate for sport, they might give a bit more attention to some of the lesser known, you know, le- lesser known series going on, like the domestic Hong Kong and Namibian stuff. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just trying too hard to look for a positive to all this. No, I, I, I see where you're coming from, mate. It, it is it is a strange one. We have had people uh, from the emerging cricket audience check in and ask us if we're going to have scorecards for Tanzania's four-match series against the Midwest Rhinos of Zimbabwe, which is uh, a little bit encouraging. Uh, yeah, there are a few things going on, and we'll get to them in a sec, but just to reiterate a couple other events that are not going on. Last week, we talked about the Challenge League Group A Malaysia leg. That's not going on. That would have started yesterday, actually. We're also missing out on the Everest Premier League, of course, the ACA Africa T20 Cup Finals, some other activities around. Uh, Also, Cricket Scotland just this week announced that they're postponing all cricket-related activities, and that's from the grassroots all the way up to the national team, and they're waiting to hear on news from the ICC in regards to the Namibia leg of Cricket World Cup League 2, as we did discuss today. But we could talk about some cricket that has gone on, and with the Tanzania Tour of Zimbabwe starting this week, we'll wrap that next week. Uh, But we have seen some domestic cricket go on in the emerging cricket world. We've had the Namibia Franchise League, which we'll talk about in a second, but the Hong Kong Premier League, their 50-over competition has started over the weekend. We've just seen the two matches thus far. The teams competing in that, the Kowloon Cricket Club, Diaskwa Little Sai One Cricket Club, Hong Kong Cricket Club, United Services Recreation Club, and the Pakistan Association of Hong Kong. Just a couple of matches to start that tournament. But given the intensity of everything going on from a medical standpoint, it's probably a miracle that we're even looking at some cricket and some results to begin with. Uh, the two results so far, Diaskwa defeated uh, Hong Kong Cricket Club by 82 runs. Uh, in the first match with Kowloon too strong for the United Services Recreation Club. A couple of standout performances thus far. Um, Muhammad Awais Sr. making 70 or 52 balls for United Services uh, in their match only for... 
the likes of Cox, Simandeep Singh and Jamie Atkinson to all be in the runs to, to make it a pretty easy victory for Kowloon Cricket Club. Uh, and in the other game, as I just check, Esan Khan making a massive 100, 132 off 120 balls uh, at Wong Nai. And then the Hong Kong Career Club not getting within Kui of that target. Just looking at some of the bowling figures and Mawson Khan making or taking, I should say, 4 for 38. But yeah, just to, to bring it back, it, it's a miracle we have cricket going on at all, Nick. And just to see these guys still toiling away, it's uh, encouraging to see. Yeah, I, I tuned in on the on the live stream, which was uh, very nicely provided by Hong Kong Cricket. Um, and so hopefully they'll they'll keep that going next weekend and um, yeah, give us all some, some cricket to look forward to. Um, yeah, that first game you mentioned, the um, Diaskwa Little Saiwan, they were too strong, but it, it looked like it was going to be a, a good match for about half of the chase. Hong Kong Cricket Club were definitely in the hunt. They, they were around uh, two for 160, I think. And then Mohsen Khan took four wickets in and over and just completely wrecked it. And, and then they just kind of crumbled after that. So it was a very good spell of bowling and it was a you know, big moment. He turned the game completely on its head. But yes, yeah, good knock from Esan Khan. And it's interesting, he doesn't bat a whole lot for the national team for Hong Kong. But at domestic level, it seems like he can really get it going. And maybe that's just the lower standard or maybe he just feels a bit more comfortable or I don't know what it is. Um, hopefully, Tim can shed a bit of light on it at some point. But I thought that was quite interesting. Well, I'm glad you bring up Mr. Cutler because we managed to catch up with Tim uh, at another time and he discussed the Hong Kong Premier League. So here is former CEO Tim Cutler giving us a wrap of some of the action over there in Hong Kong. The international games loss with the postponement of the second round of Challenge League B, which was due to be held in Malaysia, has been Hong Kong's domestic cricket's game as their Premier League has seen all the national team players slot back in with their respective clubs as cricket continues. After Pakistan Association won the recently concluded T20 League, round one of the five-team 50-over Premier League kicked off on fields closed off to any spectators at ground level. At Hong Kong Cricket Club, Diaskwa Little Sai Won got one over the hosts, while over at Kowloon Cricket Club, or as many would know as the home of the Hong Kong Sixers, the new boys, the United Services Recreation Club, or USRC, were defeated by Jamie Atkinson's led Kowloon side. Game one, HKCC surely felt the wrath of Khan. Yes, I know. Sorry, not sorry. As a 190-run stand between national players Esan and Wakaz for the third wicket led the foundation for the visitors posting 299 for seven on Hong Kong Cricket Club's ground, which is perched high above the city on Wong Nai Chung Gap. Esan Khan finished on 132 from 120, and Wack has made 89 from 127. Now, the Hong Kong Career Club captain, Isaac Poole, who's a doctor of economics, didn't really get his economy right with the ball. He went for 73 with his off spin, but he also managed to pick up five wickets during his 10 overs. Now, for those who have seen old images of the original Hong Kong Career Club ground located in the Central Business District. That ground was in action from 1851 to 1975 before the government moved the club to a new site of exactly the same size or a parcel of land. So it's still the small ground with a um, with a club house and pool to the side, but to a piece of land that was reclaimed off the side of a mountain overlooking Happy Valley and beyond quite 
the sight to behold, especially at night, as you can look north over Hong Kong, Victoria Harbour and beyond. Now, as the story goes, Diaspora Little Saiwan, or Little Saiwan Career Club, as it started its life before the handover, it was a club for those players who were in certain professional services that uh, they may have had other jobs as, as a cover for what their true true jobs were in society. Um, but even after losing their ground after handover, uh, they continued to grow and the club really did broaden its membership. And it's got people from all across the, the many backgrounds that make up the cricketing community. And they're now one of the, the largest clubs in Hong Kong. Now in reply, HKCC only got to 217 with Ben Zanel's 60 and the veteran keeper batter and financier turned gym entrepreneur David Jacquier's 48 of any note. Left arm seamer for Diaskwa Little Saiwan Mosin Khan took wickets 3, 4 and 5 to record a hat-trick amongst his 4 for 38 but uh, they do say cricket is a, a batter's game, and this ran true with most missing out on player of the match honours as Esan Khan took that gong. Now, I mentioned the view up over Victoria Harbour. That view is over to the dark side, known to those people in Hong Kong, over to the peninsula of the Chinese mainland in Kowloon, where the Kowloon Cricket Club in Jordan, generally accepted to be the highest value cricket ground by land value in the war, and in the world, I should say, uh, saw the hosts make light work of USRC chasing down a target of 202 within 31 overs, only three wickets down. With former Durham Uni first-class player Rory Cox, he played two first-class games in 2013. He finished on 84 not out from 102 after opening innings. Now, with uh, many sporting teams in, in Hong Kong, especially cricket teams, being aligned with private member clubs, USRC is no different. They opened in 1911 as a club to cater for the growing military presence, back when it was a an English colony and uh, they note on their website providing a recreational haven for officer class personnel and their families now after handover 1st of july 1997 ownership of the club passed to the people's liberation army of, of china but as they had no use for the facilities they have allowed the club to be run by and for its members so it's now administered as a limited company and run very similar to other private recreational clubs in hong kong such as hong kong cricket club or kowloon cricket club now in the game at hand, their bright spot was the innings of Mohamed Awas, who many would have recognised from opening the innings during the 2018 Hong Kong T20 Blitz for Galaxy Gladiators Lantau. That team was led by Kumar Sangakara and only fell at the final hurdle when they lost the final to the Hong Kong JD Jaguars. He finished 70 not out from 52 balls um, after coming in quizzically at number eight. I'm not sure if he was injured or, or whatnot, but uh, definitely too talented to be batting that low. Now for the KCC, three wickets to, went to young Seema Atik, while Hong Kong captain Azaz Khan and fellow national team player Wekaz Barkat both got two wickets. But a familiar name to those watching the emerging game would see that Jay Davidson, a former Namibia pace bowler, he took one for 46 from nine overs. He's been in Hong Kong now for, geez, it would be approaching three years. So I don't know whether he is looking to qualify and play for Hong Kong, but I know that he's been getting some good numbers for Kowloon Cricket Club, and that could be very handy to Hong Kong stocks. So that's two points each for Diaspora, Little Saiwan, and Kowloon Cricket Club. 
Now, the next matches are on Sunday, the 22nd of March, at Hong Kong Cricket Club from 9.30am. It is HKCC against Pakistan Association, so that'll be um, Pakistan's first game of this tournament. And USRC will have a rest, as we'll see the two winners from week one, LSW and KCC, clash at Kowloon Career Club. Now, looking back to last year, KCC were the champions when they won six out of their eight matches, seven points clear of Little Saiwan. So it really is a clash of the two form teams there. But Pakistan Association shouldn't be ruled out either. Even though they came last in last year's 50-over league, they actually won the T20 uh, Premier League just finished, as I mentioned earlier. So both matches can be watched on Facebook and YouTube. I think um, Cricket Hong Kong will be posting all of those links on Sunday with very little live cricket going on. It's um, a refreshing break from no cricket. So uh, tune into that. And like I said, YouTube, Facebook, but um, Cricket Hong Kong's Natesh Helmlani will, uh, will post those links wherever he can. Thanks, guys, and uh, talk to you next week when I'm back in Australia and self-isolation. Just going back to that, uh, the, the second game that was played with uh, Kowloon Cricket Club, they, they really ran away with it. Um, the, the, you mentioned Muhammad Awais Sr. and his 70-odd uh, not out. He uh, really rescued them. They were in all sorts of trouble. At, I think it was about 6 for 90-something, and he came in and, and just really whacked them. Yeah, six sixes to, to get them up to a respectable total. Uh, but obviously, the Kowloon batsmen were too good. Um <laughs> I'd also point out Wakaz Barkat, who has sometimes kept for uh, the, the Hong Kong team. Uh, maybe he's a Wesley Baracy figure because he <laughs> came in um, and, and really choked off the, the middle order there, which I, I thought was quite interesting. I have seen an emergence, and I don't mean to, to make a pun here, but I have seen an emergence of keepers who are also chiming in with the ball. I recently saw in the recent one-day international series between Australia and South Africa, Heinrich Klaassen actually bowled a little bit of off-spin, and he's kept for South Africa in international cricket, and we've seen Ben Dunk do it in the BBL. He had a great PSL uh, as well. He's been whacking them around, but it is definitely a... I don't know. I don't even, How would you even describe it? You're the triple threat but of cricket. It's not acting, singing and dancing. It's bowling, batting and keeping. Uh, the Wesley Barese role, as you as you put it. But it is good to see and it shows that in a lot of these associate countries, you, you are learning every facet of the game. Uh, and for many of them, they, they find themselves being excellent at all three. Personally, I've never been able to keep ever. Uh, Nick, I know that you were a half-decent keeper, but yeah, it'd be very, very difficult to, to manage all three roles, let alone batting and bowling, to, to add that as well. Well, my uh, my great disadvantage was that uh, keeping and bowling were my two uh, better suits, and I was just a useless batsman, so <laughs> that didn't really work out for me. Can't quite do both of them at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a bowling keeping all rounder. Yeah, no, but part of it was um, the there's only one keeper in a team, so you know if you want to get in the side, you, you have to offer something else. If you know if the the keeping spot's sewn up by someone else, uh, being able to roll your arm over just just adds a bit of value, I guess. Especially in in the way that the game is moving uh, in 2020 and beyond. That's if there is any cricket that is being played to start with. Yes. Uh, without trying to sound. Too cynical. Uh, there has been some more domestic cricket. It's been a franchise league in Namibia, and we've actually been quite keen to to see this. But unfortunately, the the stream hasn't materialised, and it's the uh, Namibian franchise four team competition. It's also sponsored by by uh, Richelieu, which uh, if you've been to Namibia, it's uh, 
a pretty obvious marriage to make between sponsor and competition. Richelieu is everywhere. <laughs> a lot of people offered us Richelieu brandy while we were there, as well as uh, some of the Castle Light and, and some other beers around. Uh, to discuss this competition so far, we're heading into the finals uh, this weekend. Just a, a, a final and then a third, fourth place playoff of course, only being a four-team competition. Uh, we've seen the BA blasting Namibia side dominating proceedings. Uh, the King Price Kings and the M&M Strikers look to be fighting for second place and a spot in the final. A couple of usual suspects who have dominated with ball and bat, Gerard Erasmussen and JP Kotzer, uh, two names that have been at the top of the run-scoring charts to the shock of, of not many people. We've seen Carl Birkenstock take a bunch of wickets, which is good for him. He's definitely on the precipice of playing some more cricket for Namibia. He'd probably make a Namibian A side. He can bat a bit. He can bowl a bit. Probably not quite in their best 11, but great to see him taking wickets. Uh, Bernard Skultz with an economy of under, under five. Again, not terribly surprising uh his brother's actually been a key figure in in the competition as well nicky will probably talk a little bit more about that but there were a couple of names that have emerged uh that we haven't really heard too much of before jan bolt is probably a name to look out for in the future he's only 16 and making consistent runs i think he's third in the run scoring tally just yet as i said 16 but has played underage cricket for his country already definitely a name we'll hear some more and uh, Ramon Wilmot is another one to keep an eye on he's been taking wickets and he's a leg spinner so in the T20 format he'll be effective moving forward in, in Namibian cricket but it's just good to see uh, not only cricket going on but a competitive four-team league in an in a associate member country just again bloods the, the the stocks of Namibian cricket to potentially have a little bit more depth when they do push on and if things are to go to the plan and, and a few things alleviated in terms of uh, the current situation that we are in in 2020, there is a World Cup at the end of the year. Namibia are competing in that and do have a, a strong chance of, of getting out of the first round. So this is good practice heading into something like that, Nick. Yeah, it's always good to see uh, associates organizing tournaments um, and, and especially tournaments with sponsors. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, very popular beverage, the old uh, Richelieu brandy. Um, just looking at some of these teams, the BA Blasting are running away with it, and it's hardly surprising. You know, when you've got Gerrit Erasmus with the bat and uh, Bernard Holtz with the ball, it's sort of a, it's a bit stacked, isn't it? Um, but I've also a couple of other guys coming through and, and sort of some names that are a bit less familiar, like uh, Mika Mutumbe. He's another one who's been sort of in and out of the Namibia side in the past, hasn't played much recently, but he's been a, a key part of their uh, bowling arsenal. Again, a, a economy rate under five. So it just seems like they've um, they, they got all their ducks lined up when, when they were at the draft and obviously made some smart picks. But yeah, would have been good to get some streaming, not just uh, to alleviate the, the lack of sport, but just to, to get more of a look of some of Namibia's um, kind of fringe players. And um, especially a team like Namibia, where it's it's quite a small cricket scene and uh, you, you tend to see the same sort of 10, 12, maybe 15 guys rotating through the, the national side pretty consistently without a lot of variation. So it's, it's nice to uh, see some of the other guys coming through. Unfortunately, our um, one of our favourites, Lowen Lawrence, hasn't been able to be uh, scoring many runs which is a bit disappointing though he's he's still young so he's still got time um but i did notice an interesting situation he apparently has two cricket info profiles he's got one from when he was uh playing under 15s cricket 
And then he's got one from when he was playing senior cricket, and they've uh, they've uploaded his stats to his um to his under fifteens one. Yeah, it might be something that we have to flag Crick Info for, and I'm sure he's not the only example of this where there are players with with more than one Crick Info profile. So many of us are trying to get a Crick Info profile, and Lohan Lovrens has two. So <laughs> some people hoard toilet paper; he hoards uh, Crick Info profiles. I- exactly. I-, I do want to mention another curiosity that I did discover in the uh, in the stats for this competition, and before I do finish i do want to say that four teams in a franchise league for an associate country like namibia looks almost the perfect number because you split the national team players to about three or four each which is just enough to have that talent but enough to dilute it a little bit and to give plenty of other domestic players around the opportunity to to dominate but also to learn from some of the national team players as well so i think on that front it's good to see yeah the other curiosity i did see is that there has been a player who's played for two different teams according to the Crick Info scorecard so again under the disclaimer that this might not be 100% true unless we are verified and, and clarified by someone involved in Namibian cricket but Tangi Nuoma managed to play for both the King side and the MR24-7 team as well so I'm not exactly sure what the situation was maybe one team was short and they organized a, a <laughs> bit of a trade between the two teams but yeah that was another thing that I that I had noticed but to wrap this up it does look as if the BA Blasting Namibia side will run away with it, which does help my theory, Nick, and we'll end on it with this, is that the best uniform in the competition ends up being one of the stronger teams. It's a look-good, <laughs> feel-good, play-good situation. And looking at photos of Herard Erasmus playing, you know, flourishing cover drives in this gorgeous black kit, I've got to say... It, it's correlating. I'm not sure if if it's causating, but it's definitely correlating, at least in my mind. I don't know. I think uh, I think Erasmus could make pretty much any kit look good with that you know big stride forward. <laughs> good point. Um, yeah, looking at the other uniforms, not so impressed. The the BA blasting, yeah, very nice black with the the big green slash around the the middle, but. Uh, yeah, King Price Kings, uh, I think probably bottom of the pile in the uniform stakes, playing in their uh, the, just their cricket white trousers with a red shirt. It's a, it's a bit village, honestly. Yeah, look, I... There. Uh, so we'll move on. Now, there's one more point I want to make, and it actually moves quite well into our next topic, is that one of the perennial figures of Namibian cricket, who is the father of Herat Erasmus, Francois Erasmus, was competing for Namibia at the over 50s World Cup. Shout out to Francois, an excellent, excellent man. Uh, it was a pleasure to meet him, but unfortunately, the World Cup there has been cancelled halfway through. Thoroughly disappointing for, for everyone working so hard to get to that. Uh, Knowing a couple of guys within the Australian over 50s community as well, uh, we're really keen to watch some of that unfold. And unfortunately, that hasn't materialized. I also have another tenuous link. A player by the name of Phil Leeds, who is playing for the Welsh over 50s team. Now, yeah, Wales and England competing as separate countries in the over 50s World Cup, which is, uh, from an emerging perspective, a a bit niche and and, and definitely something we could talk about. Uh, There are pockets of emerging cricket media who would like to see Wales actually break away from England, but I'm sure the logistical hurdles would be too hard. But uh, Phil Leeds plays for a club by the name of Dolgetia in in central North Wales, and it was good to see him on the scorecard. Uh, A great guy from from all reports. I did play against him, but I, I can't say I 
uh, I can't remember meeting him or talking to him that much, but he is well-respected in the in the Cricket North Wales community, so did want to give him a shout-out as well. Any more final comments before we do move on to, to some other news, Nick? I'm sure there are opinions on maybe, you know, the very niche Welsh breakaway side from England, not just at over-50s level, but maybe beyond in the future for, for the, a senior side. <laughs> well... They, they do say that um, Wales is the silent W in the ECB. <laughs> Which is funny because the Welsh alphabet has Ws riddled through it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I have seen Welsh words uh, written down and it's uh, they, they do love their Ws. Um, but the, yeah, I don't know. It's it's I'm sort of in two minds about this because in, in some respects, it's a bit of a anachronism that they don't have their own team you know you look at rugby and, and football and you know other, most other sports wales has their own team and and for some reason they, they have a joint cricket team and yeah i don't know in terms of infrastructure and logistics they do uh, get a lot of uh, a lot of support from the ecb which um you know if you're striking out on your own as an associate you you, you end up on what a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year from the icc that's going to be a pretty big come down for them so it, it'd be a, a shock for them to adjust maybe in the very long term it, it might end up being better for them but it's that's the kind of thing that it's a pretty big risk if it doesn't work out for them and and I, yeah and then there's the whole glamorgan situation of mm. course and um glamorgan probably wouldn't be supporting this uh so yeah i, I don't know i don't and the thing is, I don't think Wales would be uh, particularly competitive on their own. I think associate cricket's moved on a bit. They'd be in that sort of second tier of associate teams, I think, at a guess, which uh, that's not the kind of thing that inspires you to, to you know, get a groundswell of support from, from Welsh cricket fans is if you're you know off playing uh, Botswana or somebody in, in uh, the, the qualifying rung. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a good idea, but I, I guess, you know, a lot of countries just want their own sports team and, and that's fair enough. Uh, before we before we move on, I would quickly point out that Canada, the over fifties Canada team, actually beat Sri Lanka in their first match, uh, which was pretty good. They ended up getting thrashed by New Zealand in their next game, but yeah, then the tournament got called off halfway through games, which was pretty abrupt. Uh, I remember, saw the tweet from Wales over fifties cricket halfway through the innings when they they just said basically the whole thing's just been called off because of coronavirus, which is I don't know quite odd that you would wait until halfway through an innings to do it yeah i don't know what happened there maybe maybe they got some advice from the government to to just shut it down i don't know yeah it's a tricky one and when you are in uncharted territory like this and you are organizing a tournament i'm not sure how people react and 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 then act in the situation so i don't really have any qualms about what actually happened it's it's a situation that is so unique that that people probably don't really know what to do. Uh, just a final point, and I'm glad you did mention that about about Wales as well. As I know that from my brief flotation in in, in Welsh cricket and and being lucky to, to to play actually in Wales for a season, uh, a lot of the really good players, particularly from the north, won't actually head south to go through the cricket Wales rep systems because it's it's simply too far away. They're actually better off going to Lancashire and, and Warwickshire and a couple of other counties uh, in the west of. England to pursue their cricket because it's it's just a lot easier to, to get there you know to travel from North Wales to South Wales you actually the quickest way I still think is actually over the English border and back down into Wales again so from a geographical standpoint it would be very difficult and, and yeah Glamorgan I think would be uh, probably against all of it there are a couple of good Welsh players actually coming through a guy by the name of Anur and Donald uh, a young batsman coming through he was at Glamorgan he's recently moved to another county I can't remember which county that is off the top of my head 
but another Welsh player was a, a kid by the name of Roman Walker, who actually played against at Marquill and Wrexham. He was an outstanding cricketer, even for his age. He um, he took the catch of me on the boundary, one-handed, jumping and keeping himself inside the rope. So that was one of the memories that I actually took home, and I thought, yep, that kid is good. And <laughs> two years later, I managed to watch him on television playing in an under-19 World Cup. So hmm. he, he'll have a bright future. Uh, but yeah, uh, coming back to, to your point there, good to see Canada get a result. But yeah, the organisers ending that tournament halfway through, which is disappointing, but y- you can't really hold them to, to ransom for that decision. <laughs> no, well, as, as we keep saying, it's um, got to put the player safety first and um, yeah, always listen to the medical advice. I have been in Wales, actually, very briefly. I, I got a ferry over from Ireland and it docked in Wales and, and I had to go to the train station. Oh, that would have docked in Holly in Holyhead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, yeah, I have mixed opinions of that place. <laughs> I, I'll probably keep them to myself. Well, my, my main view of it was it was very grey. Correct. <laughs> yeah, just the buildings and the weather. Yeah. Probably a good time to give a shout out to Bethesda Cricket Club in, in North Wales uh, for, for my time there. It was excellent and was actually planning to head over there and visit them sometime in this summer, but given the circumstances, that might not materialise. Anyway, moving on, uh, some cricket that at this point will still go ahead and it relates to Argentina's women's team known as the Flamingos. They are still intending to tour Brazil next month. Just looking at, at some of their social media movements, uh, yeah, it does look as if they're going to try and keep that one alive and, and hoping to, to have some more news on that. And, and some more women's cricket that we have seen in the last uh, week or so is the first women's match in Saudi Arabia. A beer uh, medical group actually hosted the first women's cricket match uh, in Jeddah, a place that you you know quite well, at least the airport, Nicholas, if you do want to wax lyrical there. Oh, dear. But it's good to see that the people are still endeavouring to try and get some, some cricket on and, and to get some play. Um, hopefully, we will see some play there in Brazil. Uh, we know that they've had issues with pandemics and, and epidemics in the past. We know that Zika virus went through there in 2016. So we're hoping that the grass is greener or, or things look a little bit brighter this time. But to move back and, and to look at that first match, in Saudi Arabia, that is a positive moving forward. But I do know that you've had a couple of concerns about potential sports washing in a, in a situation where, you know, uh, in terms of gender inequality in a place like Saudi Arabia, we must be wary of how these things look on the outside and 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 potentially if if this is just an excellent story or just a case of sport washing, Nicholas? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to gauge what's going on inside Saudi Arabia because they are very heavily... Um uh, media managed and and um, I know that the the administration has uh, over the last couple of years been trying to present a more open and you know Western friendly sort of face to the world and and they have a plan to try and diversify their um, their economy and and you know move away from oil and I think uh, some of this stuff is is part of that it was actually a, a part of their International Women's Day celebration which I guess for a lot of people uh, Saudi Arabia International Women's Day is a bit of a um, bit of a contradiction but yeah it's it's this I, I recently um, and and I promise this is relevant but I recently watched a, a documentary about the West Indian cricketers who went to South Africa um, in in the apartheid era for for a rebel tour 
And it, they they talk about this fine balance between, you know, obviously some of them were there for the money and, and a couple of them were, you know, upfront about that. But uh, quite a few of the other ones were, were talking about how they felt that, you know, if they could go over to a white dominated South Africa and, and show, you know, show the white man that, you know, black men can can be equal and even can beat them, that would, um, you know, have have an effect on the way that people perceive, uh, you know, black players and, and, and race relations. And, you know, you, you can be cynical about the motivation, but um, they, they were genuine about that aspect of it, at least. So, you know, coming back to the, the Saudi Arabian situation, and um, yeah, it was in Jeddah, which um, I, I do not recommend the airport, <laughs> but the... Um, the, the, the fact that they had, um, you know, an international game with, um, you know, people from a bunch of different uh, countries, including Saudi Arabia, playing, um, I think that was good. And, and I think there is a risk that it's sort of um, uh, legitimizing somewhere that, that isn't particularly forward thinking on, on, you know, gender rights. But at the same time, sometimes countries uh, try and sort of present a controlled image or, you know, do something in a controlled way. Yeah. But when, when things start happening, it, it gets out of control and they can't stop it and and so you know hopefully things like this you know seeing women playing sport it becomes something that they can sort of come to accept i guess and yeah i don't know i don't, I don't want to turn this into a, a you know a discussion of the human rights record of saudi arabia but this is something i think sport more generally we, we've seen it with you know qatari uh, billionaires buying up uh, football teams and and i think this is something cricket needs to start thinking about is, you know, when, when you're dealing with uh, regimes that have very questionable uh, human rights records, how how hard do you go on it? And, you know, how much do you punish the, the players? How much do you punish the regime? And it, it's a lot of, um, it's, it's tough questions and I, I don't have any answers. Um, but yeah, getting back to this game, as I said, hopefully just, just the fact that women are playing cricket, even if it is a, a bit of a, a PR exercise that, you know, they can try and push for, for more of that to happen. Um, we, we've seen Oman, which yeah, is, is in a similar sort of cultural situation. Oman's women team have, have played a couple of tours and, and so that's been good and, and that's promising. So yeah, I don't know. Oh, well, I was just about to say, yeah, we've seen Oman host the, the German women's team and for us, sport has been a great leveler and something that has transcended a lot of human issues. You know, you discussed the issues of race and, and the West Indies touring South Africa. These days, it's more about uh, women's rights and, and gender inequality and we've seen this in, in Saudi Arabia, but and and look, we need to acknowledge our our view on this. You know, as as two white adult men, we haven't. Well, yeah, exactly. We haven't experienced this segregation, so I do want to acknowledge that. You know, because we do speak speak to people, but here we are, just on a, on a podcast trying to to talk cricket, but how these things transcend it. But I think we can both agree that you know we we are we are seeing a change here because you know we've just come off a women's World Cup where we've had eighty six thousand people show up to the Melbourne Cricket Ground to watch a women's T Twenty World Cup final. It's something that I don't think anyone had envisaged before and we've seen a beacon of light that is Thailand and Thai women's cricket and how the lack of inhibitions in women taking up a sport that hasn't been dominated by their country you know you look at Thailand and anyone has been able to to pick up a bat and a ball from the women's side of things and has been able to just develop their skills to a point where they're now recognized around the world which is which is excellent you know I, I don't want to harp on this too much because again I, I do want to acknowledge that that we're probably a little bit blinkered in all of this but you do have to say that you know when you when you can see this change happening in front of you it is important to acknowledge it even if you're not exactly a, a direct beneficiary of it yeah I mean as, as you said we're 
couple of Western guys uh, sitting in a Western country talking about women's issues in, in Saudi Arabia. It's sort of a, a bit beyond our... Uh, uh, expertise level as a cricket podcast but just going back to the the broader point of you know women's cricket and, and women's sport yeah 86,000 people at the MCG is a pretty impressive figure I know they're a little bit short of the, the world record that they're going for but I guess my question there would be you know how do they back that up and and that's great for a you know a one-off event but can we get something like that or you know even half that coming to a just a regular game with Australia or um you know and and then on the on the other side of it you look at going back to this series with Brazil and and Argentina uh, Brazil recently announced that they were giving contracts to their women's team and that's before they gave contracts to the men's team and it's the same with Thailand. So seeing how women's sport is, um, I guess, moving forward in, in some ways and, and in countries where they don't have that cricket history is is very interesting. So in terms of backing it up for Australia, obviously they'll want to build on that and, and you know try and get more people coming into regular matches. This is obviously once uh, <laughs> once cricket resumes. But for, for the other teams who, who aren't quite at the same level of professionalism as Australia, women's cricket is interesting because it offers a quicker pathway to, if not to the top, at least to the top table. Um, because if Thailand had invested all their money in their men's team, you know, they, they might have got better. They might have gone to maybe an Asia Cup or a, or a qualifier somewhere, but they certainly wouldn't have got to a World Cup. And I think a lot of teams are sort of uh, twigging onto this that, you know, the women's game is not not a shortcut to development, but you, you get more bang for your buck. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how Argentina go because I know that their women are not contracted so you know whether the contracts mean that the the full-time practice and whatnot so that'll be interesting to see and i guess sort of bringing these points together as as professionalism increases across the women's game one of the things i really noticed about covering the world cup the women's world cup was that it wasn't um it was a lot more accessible and a lot more open uh compared to to men's teams and i think there's sort of a curve where the more as professionalism increases teams become less accessible and players become a bit more reserved and and that's certainly the case with the england players that we came across at canberra and monica oval and that's definitely the case with the australian players the women they're a lot more professional and they're a lot less accessible and as I guess, um, and this is this is one of the things I love about associate cricket is the accessibility, and it's it's just part of the charm. And so as the as they get more developed, you sort of lose that. So it's it's kind of a, a bit of a, an interesting dilemma for cricket in this sense is that as you meet your development goals and, and get bigger and better, you also are losing part of the charm that sort of um, got people there in the first place. And and that's partly why Thailand was such a breath of fresh air, I think, because because they had that just you know unfiltered love for the game, and and they were so open about it. One more story in regards to all this that um, you just reminded me of there talking talking about it and, and yeah, you make a great point that I was actually going to try and finish up on but you beat me to it so well done but it was just that women's cricket is a great opportunity for a lot of these associate members to put their eggs in, in that basket because there is a little bit more of a chance or at least more of an opportunity to, to push into that space and compete at the international level as, as Thailand have have shown us but one story that i did want to bring up was that countries like australia and others have donated cricket gear to, to other places around the world in in a, in a cricket development drive and one thing that i saw around the start of the world cup was that roberta moretti avery who's the captain of the brazil women's team donated a jumper a cricket australia jumper which had the initials ms oh, yes. in it, and she tweeted it to megan shoot asking you know was this yours and it turned out that it was which is an incredible story and, and just shows how powerful something like that can be and, and the way that cricket can 
develop and so it is a hugely encouraging space um, that cricket will grow into in the future and, and Thailand are an excellent example of that uh, but it does bring me to an issue that we will see the ICC face now given that we've just had a World Cup completed we've talked about how the qualification will go for the next World Cup the ICC have actually had to postpone physical meetings now and with world cricket in a very precarious spot with different cycles with how global tournaments are set to play out we've seen a situation here where a lot of cricket's going to be postponed to a later date a lot of contingency plans are needed to be put in place in regards to global tournaments for the future i don't know if any sport let alone cricket could have world cups in back-to-back years when we have a health problem like we do at the moment we're moving to conference calling for icc meetings no physical meetings in UAE. Nick, I don't necessarily want a prediction from you, but it does look as if it's going to be a very tumultuous time in in associate cricket, as well as all of global cricket, because it's going to be very, very difficult to, to schedule, well, for the, from the men's side, two World Cups in the space of a year. For the women, it's a little bit different with one already run and done, but if things keep going the way that we think they are, we could well have a completely new cycle drawn out and put to the people, even even with all of this going on. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know how it's all going to play out because at the moment it's sort of a uh, just a wait and see. And, and so, you know, I guess in the best case scenario where it does resolve um, within, you know, maybe a couple of months, they can probably squeeze in some of the things that they wanted to do. But I think this is sort of highlighting the, the, the problem that they had with the, the planned... Uh, two World Cups in two years thing, it, it didn't leave them much room for error, which meant that when something like this, obviously no one can predict a, a global pandemic, but you know, if anything had gone wrong, they would have been very short of time. And so this is, this is going to be the, the challenge for them. And we talked about it a bit uh, last week, just whether, uh, which pathways they're going to be able to, to make happen in the time or what time that they might have. And, you know, will they go back to rankings? And, you know, that has a whole lot of problems associated with it, but they are doing conference calls, but um, they they have postponed some of the important topics, which is interesting because you know now's the time to talk about the into- important topics. Well, yeah, they've they've got a lot of time when they're not actually doing anything, so <laughs> they might as well hash out a lot of the um a lot of the issues that that they need to get going. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, apparently, they uh, need to be there in the person and and pressing the flesh rather than uh, just looking at each other through a Skype screen. I don't know. Yeah, we're about to move into some more uncharted territory, you know, things that we've never seen in, in this generation or several uh, generations going up. So, look, we're just trying to pass on all the news that we can to everyone in the emerging create community. You know, we are getting a lot of questions in regards to what competitions are set to be played out, what competitions are postponed, how they're going to organize global competitions in the future. And yeah, look, we'll keep our ears to the floor as we uh, have news passed on by the ICC in the future. But yeah, an interesting time uh, for the world governing body of the sport who were already facing so many challenges at this point, given their ambitious plans for, for cycles and things like that. But yeah, if... All the cricket, you know, set for the next six months isn't played out. Do you just push everything back by six months? And uh, it, it, it does beg a lot of questions. And, and, and unfortunately, that's all we can do at this point, uh, which is a little bit depressing, but I'm sure they will get everyone through it. Some more somber news to round out the show and an update of some of the events we have discussed on this week's program. 
Both of those domestic competitions in Namibia and Hong Kong are now off, with Namibia also confirming that the Cricket World Cup League 2 tri-series there next month will not go ahead. That's also in the wake of the Namibia-Netherlands series, which was already cancelled. The second staging of the European Cricket League is also off with a postponement until 2021. The league will discuss contingency plans with the national governing bodies involved to work that tournament out. And Bermuda has also cancelled their Easter programs for the year, though in a statement have expressed that it will continue operations, albeit remotely. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your various social media platforms and make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcasts. On behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, and the boys, Nick Skinner and the absent Tim Cutler, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.